So we're here in the Gemara, Daf Kuf Mem Zayin Omid Beis. The first word on the line is Ene, towards the bottom where it says Avaloi Mizgaren. We learned in the Mishnah that you're not allowed to scratch yourself with a uh, instrument that's designated for this on Shabbos. You're not allowed to scratch yourself with this utensil on Shabbos. says, If your feet were dirty with mud or something else, then you can scratch it off in the regular way and there's no issue. No problem. His mother made for him a special silver instrument used to scratch yourself. It was for Shabbos, and therefore because it was a different instrument, not the one that you used for the weekday, so it was clear that it's not the way it's being done with the Uvd and the Chayl in the weekday, so that's allowed. The next thing it said in the mission is, You should not go down to the river Kurdima. What's the issue? My time. says the Gemara Mishum Pika. The issue is that it's a place, as Rashi explains, it's full of mud and it's very slippery. And you could fall into the water there and get your clothing wet, and then there'll be an issue of schite, of squeezing out, wringing out your clothing from the water. There's other pshatim in this, but this is Rashi's pshat. You're not allowed to induce vomiting on Shabbos. This is only said if you're taking some kind of a pill to induce this uh, vomiting. If you're doing it by hand, then it's allowed. It's only in a gzeda in a case of like all rufus that you might come to crush the herbs to make this sam. But otherwise it's allowed. Tanya Rav Nechem said about this thing that a person induces vomiting. Even during the weekday it shouldn't be done because you're destroying the food. This apektivism, we once learned about this before. The purpose of what this was done for is in a case where a person was full and he wanted to eat more, so they would induce vomiting to empty their stomachs to be able to eat more. So if it's being done for that purpose, then you shouldn't be doing this. You're just destroying the food to be able to eat more. The next thing it said in the Mishnah, And you're not allowed to wrap a baby in the blanket to smooth out the limbs of the baby to be in the right place. To wrap the baby in the blanket and put the bones in place is allowed. It is allowed. We had this quoted once before. So the Gemara asks, but for In our mission, we clearly learned that you're not allowed to smooth out the baby and wrap it. And for the Gemara, In this mission, it's talking about part of the spine that's mislocated. And over here, to put that back into place, it looks like you're building in the body of the baby. So that's the case that the Mishnah said is not allowed. But Rashi clarifies, even in our Mishnah, what it says that it's not allowed in this case of the Shadra, it's only at a later stage in the baby's life, not by the birth of the baby. By the birth of the baby, everything is allowed. We learned already before in Davkuf Choftes that at the birth of the baby, whatever has to be done for the baby is completely allowed. The next thing we learned in the Mishnah was, And you're not allowed to put back, to place back a broken bone in place. Rav Chana from, Bag, from Baghdad said in the name of Shmuel, halacha, the halacha is that you are allowed to put the place, the broken bone back into place. So as Rashi says, Shmuel held that the girsa, the correct girsa in our Mishnah was that you're allowed to put it back. So the Gemara tells us of an incident. Rabbi Baba Chana ikla 
Rabbi Babachana found himself to be in Pompadisa. Le'ol, Le'perke, the Rabbi Yehuda. And he didn't enter into the shear of Rabbi Yehuda. Didn't attend. And apparently he knew he was here. Rabbi Yehuda knew he was there. So, Shadre Ada Daila. He sent Ada, his attendant. Omalei, and he said to his attendant, Zil Garbe, go and confiscate his clothing. So like this, we'll have to come and pick it up. Ozal, his attendant, went Garbe, and he confiscated his clothing. Also, no, so uh, this uh, Rabchone had absolutely no choice. So Rabchone, Rabbi Barbachone, that is, came to, uh, to the Shir. Ashkechei, and he found the Kadorish that he, Rav Yehuda is teaching, ain machzir in that he not allowed to place back a broken bone in its place. Amalei, so Rabbi Babachana said to Rav Yehuda, Hochi Omer Rav Chana Bagadeto, this is what Rav Chana from Baghdad said, Omer Shmuel, the name of Shmuel, Halacha, ain machzir in again, Halacha machzir in the Halacha is that you are allowed to place the bone back in place. Amalei, so Rav Yehuda commented, Ha Chana, we have in Bavel also a Chana, the Don, our Chana here from Bavel. Vaha Shmuel, the Don, we also have Shmuel over here in Bavel. Veleshmieli, and yet we didn't hear this halacha that you are allowed to place the bone back in place. And Velav Bidini Gabaraticha, so wasn't it a good thing that I confiscated your clothing to have you come here and teach us this halacha in the name of Rav Chana from Baghdad in the name of Shmuel? So you taught us now the right halacha that this is allowed to be done. That's the maskana, that's the halacha here, that you're allowed to put the bump back in its place because otherwise it can cause long-term damage to that limb. The next thing it said on the Mishnah was, Mishnifrika yadechul of a person's uh, bones or a person's uh, limbs became dislocated. So the Mishnah says, you're not allowed to directly go and put it back in place, but if you are washing your hand in water and it goes back into place on its own, then it's allowed. Rav Ivya have Yosef kameh Rav Yosef. Rav Ivya was sitting in front of Rav Yosef. His hand was dislocated. So Rav Ivya says to Rav Yosef, if, if, I am, if I am going to put it back in place in this way, would that be allowed? He was showing him how he would put it back. Would that be allowed? So he said, no, Osir. That's not a mission. It's not allowed. And he showed him in a different way. If I would do it in this way, would that be allowed? Again, he said to him, no, it's not allowed. Adahachi. In between, trying all these kinds of ways, showing him, his hand was healed and went back into place. So Rav Yosef said to Rav Ivye, Why do you have a question? We said in the Mishnah, If a person's hand or foot is dislocated, You should not massage it in cold water to put it back into place. He could wash his hands in the usual way. And if he becomes healed, he'll become healed, but you're not allowed to do it. So it's a clear mission. What was your question? If you said, but didn't we learn the case before this in the Mishnah? That you're not allowed to place back the broken bone in place. And Baghdad said in the name of Shmuel, that we actually paskin and the right gears in the mission is that you are allowed to put it back into place. So what he's saying to him is, I thought that if that's the din over there, maybe over here as well, the right gear says that you're allowed to put it back in place. Rav Yosef said to him, Is the entire Mishnah woven in one weaving? Is it all one thing that you compare the two cases? In the case that Shmuel said that it's allowed, it was said. 
In the case where it was not said, it was not said. And in this case, in the Mishnah, it says it's not allowed. But, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, the halacha is that a dislocated limb is allowed to be put back into place because it can cause long-term damage for the limb if it's not put back into place. The Mishnah here, the Paiskim say, is speaking about a case where you have a very minor thing that's been mislocated and it doesn't cause any long-term damage, then the Mishnah said it's not allowed. Otherwise, it is allowed to put it back into place. Anytime there could be any long-term damage, or even one limb, it's allowed to be done on Shabbos. Hadron Aloch Chavis. We begin a new Paidik, and in this Paidik, in this Mishnah, it begins to discuss halachas that pertain to not being allowed to do business on Shabbos. Which is because uh, there's, there's a few reasons for this. There's the reason of Vedaber Dovra, which is discussed in Shulchan Aruch, Simen Shin Zayin, different things that we don't do to not get involved in weekday business dealings. And the other thing is that certain things that you do, as we'll see here in the Gemara, may uh, lead you to write down what you're doing. You, many times when you make a business dealing, you write down in a contract, and therefore they were geyser not to make any kinyon in any business dealings on Shabbos. Zok shoyel odome chaveroi, a person can borrow from his friend on Shabbos, kade yayin vekade shemen, jugs of wine or oil. But as, as long as the language that he uses when he borrows, he doesn't say halveni, that you should lend me this. Right? He can use the term hashileni. I'm going to borrow it from you, but not halveni. What's the difference between halveni and hashileni? So the Gemara will explain. We'll see. The same also applies to a woman that's borrowing from her friend, Kikrois, she's borrowing a loaf of bread in Shabbos, or Yantiv. So the same applies, that you only should say Hashileni and not Halveni. Another detail, if the person lending this food does not trust the borrower that he's going to pay back, so then the borrower gives a garment to the lender, on, on, even on Shabbos, and then after Shabbos, you make the cheshbin of what he has to pay him, and this is the way you can give a mashkin on Shabbos to ensure that he's going to pay him back. Similar It's an erev Pesach, and it's in Yerushalayim, and it fell out on a Shabbos, which of course, an erev Pesach that fell out on Shabbos, so we bring the carbon Pesach on Shabbos. So here you have an individual that forgot to buy the animal for the carbon Pesach. Maniach talisay etzloi. So he can go to a merchant to buy the animal that he needs for the carbon. And he gives him a talis, a cloak, as a collateral to buy this. Venoitlis, <coughs> he takes his behemoth, the carbon Pesach. And after yomtiv, he'll make a cheshben of what he owes him. <coughs> so the Gemara begins with the first case of the Mishnah where the Mishnah said that the term halveni should not be used when you're borrowing food on Shabbos or Yantif. What's the difference if you use the term halveni? And what's the difference if you use the term halveni, which is not allowed? So he answered him, when you use the term halveni, that's a kind of term which will not lead you to write this down. Halveni, but if you use the term halveni, then osil That's something that you may come to write it down. So as Rashi explains, the difference is when you write halveni, halveni is mashma that I'm giving you something to use for an extended period of time. Usually, like every loan, I give you money, 
You can have it for, like Rashi says, Stam Milve is 30 days. You can use it for that period of time. And up until then, I can't collect the money from you. That's the case that you typically write down the loan because it's an extended period of time and you don't want it to be forgotten. So you write it down. Hashilani is typically in a case where you're borrowing something, you're borrowing an axe, you're borrowing a hammer, you're borrowing an item with the intention to return this very item after you finished using it. It's not for an extended period of time and you're returning it immediately or as soon as a lender wants it back. So that's a term used for something that's not usually written down. So over here in this case, when the person's borrowing the food, obviously he's going to be eating the food and he's not returning this very food. But if you're going to use the term halveni, halveni means this is an extended period of time and you're going to pay it back in a long time, it could come to be written. But if you're using the term hashileni, so you're making it clear that I'm borrowing it with the intention to return it immediately, as soon as I have it, and therefore it's something that's not going to come to be written. Now, even in a weekday, Zimnin, the boy, sometimes he wants to say, Halveni, lend it to me for an extended period of time. And instead, he uses the term Hashileni, which means not for an extended period of time. But people are not particular about this language. And many times when you say Hashileni, it still means for an extended period of time. And, and, you, and you write this down. So Bishabis Nami, if so, why wouldn't we say that on Shabbos as well, this distinction between Halveni and Hashileni should not be enough. Nami you're going to come to write it down. That is the Gemara, Omalei, so he explained him, no. Bishabis Kivinda Hashileni, Since on Shabbos they were particular and they said that Hashileni is a term that's allowed to be used. And Halveni loishorle, and the, the term Halveni that did not allow to use. So minkiramilsa, that makes it recognizable enough that this term yes and this term no, and he'll use the term Hashileni and he won't come to write it down on Shabbos. Now, since the Gemara brought a question that Rav Barchanon asked Abaye, the Gemara now brings another question that Rav Barchanon asked Abaye on unrelated subject. So he asked him, Mechti, let's see. Omru Rabbanon. The Rabbanon said, when it comes to matters of yomtiv, there's a Mishnah to carrying and yomtiv, that when you're carrying something, so whatever shinu you could make to not carry it in the normal way, the way you usually carry it, you should make such a kind of a shinu, such a change in the way you're carrying it. So based on this, he asked him the question, the women that fill up their barrels of water on yomtiv. My time Why is it that they don't make any shinui in the way they carry these barrels? So he answered him, the reason is Mishum that it's not possible. What kind of a change should he, should the women make? And the Gemara here will spell out all the different options that will not work. What should they do? The Malyan Bachatsvarabba, if they usually fill up in a larger barrel or jug, Limlu Bachatsvazutte, to now fill it up in a smaller pitcher. What's the point of doing that? Now they're going to have to walk extra and come back and forth and carry more. So they're going to end up carrying more on Yom Tov. If they're filling up usually in smaller pitchers, so now they should change and they should fill up in larger barrels. Still, there's no point in doing this. They're ending up working harder on Yom Tov carrying a heavier load. Another option, what kind of shini they should make? Should they spread a handkerchief on top of the barrel to remind them to make some kind of a hacker, some kind of a change that it's yomtif? It could get wet and they can come to wring it out. 
It's not an option either. Should they cover it with a lid, which is not usually done? But zimnin the mifsik, sometimes this lid, which is tied, could uh, get untied. They may come to tie a knot in yomtif. So therefore, there's no option of any shinri that could be made, and therefore it's allowed. Another thing the Gemara says, another question Rav Bachonan asked Abaya. Tanan, we learned in the Mishnah, you're not allowed to clap your hands, and you're not allowed to clap your hands on your heart, you're not allowed to dance beyontif. So Rashi here says, Misapkin is in a case where people are out of uh, expressing their grief for someone that passed away, they would clap their hands. That's Rashi's Pshat. Toysus's Pshat is, Misapkin refers clapping with uh, joy. Right? So you're not allowed to clap on Yom Tov or on Shabbos. So the question is, but we see the Ovdin, that people do this. No one says anything to them. So he asks him back, and according to your question, I'll ask you something else. This that Rav said, and we learned this earlier, a person should not sit right at the opening of a mavoi, which is surrounded from three sides, and it has the third side open. So you shouldn't sit there right at the opening, where there's a lechi, where there's a side post, because an item that he's holding in his hand may roll out into the Rosh and he might go and bring it back. So he asked him about but we see Nashi women, they put their barrels right over there, they sit right over there at the opening of the Mavoy, and nobody says anything to them. So why is this allowed? So the Gemara says, the reason is, in a case where someone is doing something b'shaygig, allow him to do it b'shaygig, and he doesn't know, and if you'll tell him, and he's not going to listen to you anyways, if you know he won't listen to you anyways, so then you might as well not tell him, so he shouldn't become amazed. So when he heard this answer, so he thought, when, when do we say such a thing that you don't have to make a person aware of something that he's doing wrong? This is only true by an ism if he's being over on something so dear, you do have to make him aware of it. But the Gemara says, it's not true. Even if it's an ism you don't have to make him aware. There's no difference. Why? Where do we see this? The added time that you're supposed to add Yom Kippur to begin the fast early is from a Pasik, and nevertheless, and we see the women, they sit and they drink and eat all the way up until Mamish Ben until Shkia. And nobody comments to them, no one stops them from doing this. And the reason is because But Al-Tarev and qualifies this cloud that here the Gemara says it applies even to something which is Menatayra. So in Simitof Reish Ches, Siv Dalet, in Hilchas Yom HaKippurim, the Alter Rebbe says, this is only B'negea to Ism de Rabbanon, or B'negea to Ism in Atayre that's not explicit in the Tayre. If it's learned from Madrasha or it's a Halacha Lamaishim Sinai, there we apply this concept of Mutav Shiyashayim. But if it's something that it's an explicit Israel, Lav, or Esse, Min Atayre, there that's something that you have to make the person aware of it. Going back to the union of clapping, so of course it's known by Chassidim, the heter that we clap on Yantiv, there's a truth of the Mechus Lazar about it, and Bepoyal Renoyik, that if you're singing on Yantiv and you want to clap, you're allowed to clap on Yantiv, on Shabbos and Yantiv. Okay, it's a discussion for a different time in Mitzvah when we learn that Mishnah. 
Sagt die Gemara weiter, Vechein Isha Mechaverta Kikra. It's a woman that's borrowing bread from her friends. So what did the Mishnah say? She should use the term Hashileni and not use the term Halveni, which is the usual loan, like when you borrow money for, for an extended period of time. Sagt die Gemara, Beshabesu Aser. Does that mean using the term Halveni, lend me bread, only in Shabbos it's an issue, because you might come to write. Avel Bechoyel Shaper Domi. But on a weekday it's okay. Shall we say that what it says here in our Mishnah does not follow the opinion of Hillel that when you are borrowing bread and you're using the term halveni as a halva of bread, there can be a concern of ribis. We learned in the Mishnah, Hillel said, You should not lend using the term talvel, a loan of bread to your friend. Until you evaluate it, what the value of the money is right now, and the loan should be the value of the money. Not the loan should not be this bread to pay back this very same bread. Why? Because shema shema yukru chitin. Maybe the price of the grain of the wheat will go up. The ribis. And if you pay back the same loaf of bread, it's ribis. You're paying back something that's more valuable now. So you can't use the term halveni regarding this loaf of bread even during the week. You have to use the term hashileni, which is not a regular loan. You're just borrowing something to give back. It's not a, a halvo, and there's no ribis there. So how does the Mishnah say that this is an issue only on Shabbos? And for the Gemara, Philotime, Hillel, no, we could say that our Mishnah follows what Hillel said. In our Mishnah, we're talking about a case that the price of the loaf of bread is fixed, and we know it's not going to change, and therefore on the weekday it's not an issue. In that Mishnah in Babakama, it's in a case where the price is not fixed, and therefore the price could change, and therefore you have to evaluate its value when you lend the bread in order to pay back that amount and not more. And if he does not trust you, if the person lending you this food does not trust you, you can give a mashkin, you can give a talus to hold as a mashkin. Itmar, we learned the following argument. Borrowing something on Yom borrowing food on Yom and the same thing would be on Shabbos. Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, This is something that you can't go to a bezdin to demand it to be paid back. But Rabbi says, Nitna litova. No, you could go to a Bezdin to demand it to be paid back. Okay? So, Gemara now explains, the E Omrit, Nitna litova. Again, Rav Yosef Omrit. Gemara now explains the Raya of Rav Yosef. Where does Rav Yosef see his opinion? Rav Yosef says, You cannot go and demand it from a Bezdin. The Bezdin should go and collect it for you. The e omret nitna litova because if you say that you can go and demand this in a bezdin, so then asilu michtav you're going to come to write it down. This is uh, the issue that you might come to write. Rabba but Rabbi says nitna litova that no, you could go and demand it afterwards. The omret le nitna because if you're going to say that this is something that cannot be demanded in a bezdin after Shabbos or Yom Tif, lo so he's not going to give him. He's not going to trust him, and he's not going to give him. So you're going to prevent him from having the simchas Yom of getting the food that he needs. So now the Gemara brings in our Mishnah. What did it say in our Mishnah? If the lender doesn't trust the borrower, the borrower gives him a talis to hold on to, that he should be able to uh, collect it from him later. So now if you're going to say that the lender doesn't have the right to go and collect it in a bezdin, so therefore you have to have a mashkin for this in order to ensure that it'll pay you back. 
and then you can make a cheshbon after Shabbos. But you can go and you have the right to go and collect it. You go to a bezin and have it collected. Why do you have to have a talis to guarantee that it's going to get paid back? Give him, lend him whatever the food it is. And then you later, if he doesn't pay you, you have the right to go and demand it of him. Omar, so the answer is no. The reason why he wants this mashkin, True, Rabbi's opinion is right. You can go to the bezin, you can collect it, but he's not interested in having this bother. He doesn't want to have to go to the bezin and have a dintaita. He wants to have a mashkin that will make it easier for him to be able to collect it without going to a bezin. Ravidi Barovin asked the question. So here you have a case of a person that's shechting a cow on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So now in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, how would they establish the new month, in this case Rosh Hashanah, through Edom that came? Because they were not certain which day is going to be the first day of Rosh Hashanah, so they kept two days of Rosh Hashanah. Now, it depends when the Edom end up coming. If the Edom come on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, so then you only have 29 days of Elul, and then this first day of Rosh Hashanah is Aleph Tishrei. If the Adam end up coming the next day, so then Aleph Tishrei ends up being Lamed Elul, and then Aleph Tishrei is the next day. So what happened over here? Hashaychet is the person shechted a cow on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. V'chilka b'Rosh Hashanah. And he divided it amongst buyers on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So what's the din here? So now, another detail of what this mission is talking about, we're talking about the end of Shemitah. What's the halacha with Shemitah? By the end of Shemitah, any loans become absolved. So if it turns out that the aid came on the the Aiden came on the next day, so the first day of Yom Tiv was still part of Elul because it turns out to be Chavtes Elul. So then you lent the money to these people that took this meat on credit during the last day of Shemitah on Chavtes Elul. So Mishamit. That loan now will become absolved because it happened during Shemitah. Vim lav. However, if it turns out that the first day of Rosh Hashanah was the first day of the following year, it was already Aleph Tishrei. So it's not, it's not anymore part of Shemitah. So then Einim Mishamit. So then the loan will not get absolved from the Shemitah. It's already the next year. So now the question of the Gemara is, nitno litova, if you're going to say like Rav Yosef, that a loan made on Rosh Hashanah on Yom Tif cannot be demanded, because it was done on Yontif, you don't want it to come right, so you can't even go ahead and collect it. My Mishamit. What does it say over here that you're going to absolve the loan? What do you mean absolve the loan? This is a loan that you can't go and collect. So at this point, the Gemara thinks the idea of absolving the loan is that you don't have the right to go collect. But over here, you don't have the right to go collect anyways. So what's the point of saying that it's Mishamit? Answers the Gemara, no. Shani Hossam, in that case, it's different. The Gloi Milsa the Chaylo. If the Edim ended up coming on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, so what, what does it turn out to be? That the first day of Rosh Hashanah was actually Chavtes Elul, which was a weekday. So therefore the loan really took place on a weekday, or the credit that he gave them for the meat that they bought for him took place on a weekday on the last day of Shemitah. So therefore there's no gzeda that he shouldn't be collecting this loan. Now the Gemara says, but, but we can still bring a riot our question to the, this discussion here from the Seifa of that Mishnah. What does it say? Or the Braisa? It says there, but if the Adam came on the first day, if the Adam came on the first day, so then, so then it does not absolve the loan because the loan took place in the new year, in the next year. It's already Aleph Tishrei.
So again, the question is, if you're going to say a loan made on Yontif, you could go ahead, you have the right to collect it. Therefore, the Mishnah is teaching me here the Din, that in this case, because it's the new year, so the loan is not absolved. But if you're going to say that this is a loan that anyways can't be collected, what's the point, what's the Pshad of the Mishnah saying that this loan is not absolved? This is a loan you can't collect either way. So the Gemara explains, no, Pshad over here is, the E, my enemy Shamit, the Bach has these words, my enemy Shamit, you know what the Mishnah is teaching me in this case when it says that the loan is not absolved, the E, Yoiv lay Shokel. That if the loive, the borrower, insists in paying back, you're allowed to take it. True, you're not allowed to go ahead and collect it. This is a loan that was done on Yontif. <coughs> Sorry, and therefore, according to Rav Yosef, you don't collect it. But if he comes to pay it back, you can take it from him, because it's not a loan that was absolved. Zog the Gemara. Neklal, the reisha shakal. Does that mean that in the reisha, the pshat when we said that the loan is absolved, does that mean that even if the leiva insists to pay, so that you don't take it? Why not? Why, why shouldn't you take it if the leiva insists to pay, even if the loan is absolved because it happened on the last day of Shemitah, but why shouldn't you take it? Says the Gemara, no, the difference is as follows. Reisha, in the reisha, where the loan was absolved by Shemitah, tzorech lemeimele when the loyva offers to pay you, you have to clearly tell him, I'm absolving the loan and I, you don't have to pay me. You have to tell that to him. Seife, however, in the Seife, you don't have to tell that to him. The loan was not absolved. You don't have the right to collect it, but you also are not going to have to tell him that you're absolving the loan because it already happened in the first day of the next year. That's the difference between the ratio of the Seife. And the Gemara brings the source for this, Kedetnan, as we learned the Halacha Benigeya to a person, a lawyer that insists on returning the loan of Shmita, that was absolved by Shmita. If you return a loan in Shmita, so the Malva should say, I absolved the loan. And if the lawyer says, yet I want to pay you anyways, you accept it from him. We learn out from Vizet Dvar Hashmita that you have to say Mishamatani. Rav Ivye Shakal Mashkaina. Rav Ivye would take a mashkin on Shabbos and Yontif for food that was borrowed from him. Rabbi Barula, Rabbi Barula didn't want to take a mashkin on Shabbos and Yontif. Maire Mirumi. He would do a harame, he would give out the loan the day before. Then the next day he would take a mashkin for it to make sure that he would get paid. The next thing we learned in the Mishnah was regarding a person buying a behemoth on Erev Pesach. That you can do the same thing. You can buy the, the behemoth Erev Pesach on Shabbos. And then you uh, put a, a, a mashkin and you come later after Yom Tov and you pay it up. Om Rabbi Yechen. Now Rabbi Yechen said as follows. Maktish Odom Pischoi B'Shabbos. You're allowed to be Maktish, a carbon Pesach, on Shabbos. And a carbon chagiga, you're also allowed to be makrevit on yomtiv. Even though usually you're not allowed to be makdish kachim on Shabbos or yomtiv, but the carbon pesach and chagiga, you can be makdish on Shabbos and yomtiv. Shall we say that what it said in our Mishnah is a clear riot to Rabbi Yechinen? What did it say in our Mishnah? You put a mashkin by the seller, you buy a carbon pesach, you buy an animal for a carbon pesach, and then you'll make a cheshbon with him after yomtev. So it's pretty obvious from our Mishnah that you're allowed to be makdish to behemoth. If you can't be makdish to behemoth, so then what use is it that you're buying it? You won't be able to be makdish it for a carbon. LMI, we see from our Mishnah, you can buy it and you can be makdish it for a carbon. 
And for the Gemara, no, it's not a Raya. In our mission, you know what it's speaking about? That he wants to be Mimana others with him. It was already, they were already Makdashit. But he wants to be Mimana Chayrim Imoy Al Pischa Demei Mikdash Vekoi. He was already Makdashit, but there was someone that didn't have an animal. Now he wants to include someone else in the group. And that's the Chiddush over here that on Yantif you can include, on Shabbos that is, when it falls out on Shabbos, on Erev Pesach, you can include someone else in the group. He gives a mashkin and he pays you for it later. Frek, the Gemara, are you allowed to include somebody new in the group on Shabbos? But we learned in the Mishnah, you're not allowed to include someone in the group for the carbon Pesach on Yom Tif. And for the uh, answers the Gemara, no, here what we're speaking about is Shani Hocha, Kivin the Rogel Etzle. We're speaking about an individual that's accustomed to be included in this group. It's as if He's been included part of this group already, and therefore in this case it is allowed. The bottom line is there's no raya from here to what Rabbi Yechanan said that you could be maktish a carbon pesach on Shabbos. But learned clearly, and he does say this clearly. A person can go to a shepherd, a that he's accustomed by him. The and the raya gives him a carbon pesach, he gives him an animal, and you can be makdashit the You can be yaitz with this. So it clearly says he being makdashit. Answers the Gemara, no, Hasam Nami, you know what that is speaking about over there? Kivin the Ragalatzlay, as it clearly says, this is someone that he's accustomed to buying from him, Akdushile Me'ikare. He was already Makdashit in advance. So it's already Akdash, you're not the one that's being Makdashit. Frek the Gemara, but Makdash Ketani. It does say clearly in that Braise that you're being Makdashit. So we see, like Rabbi Yechina, that you could be Makdashit. Answers the Gemara, no, it doesn't mean that you're being Makdashit from the, the beginning, it was already Hektish from before. Hektish iloi midrabanon. When it says that you're being Makdashit, even though it was already Hektish, but midrabanon, the person himself that's bringing the carbon should be Makdashit again to elevate its status as a carbon, and therefore you have to be Makdashit again. But really, it's already Hektish, and therefore there's no Raya from there. Now the Gemara asks, so again, Rabbi Yechinen, however, says that you could be Makdish a carbon Pesach on Shabbos. Asks the Gemara, but Rami Amar Rabbi Yechinen Hachi. Could have Rabbi Yechinen said this? V'ha'amar Rabbi Yechinen halachah kistam Mishnah. Rabbi Yechinen, as we had many times, says that the halachah is like a stam Mishnah. Utnan, and we have a stam Mishnah that says, Loi Makdishin, Loi Marichin, Loi Machrimin, Loi Makbiin, Trumas and Maisis. You're not allowed to be Makdish something. Erchin, machrimin, different kinds of ways of making something hektish and taking trumas and maestres. Call elu biyomtiv omru. They said on yomtiv, none of this is allowed to be done. And kavachaymi b'shabbos, most definitely, it's not allowed to be done on shabbos. So we have a stam mishnah that clearly says that you're not allowed to be makdish on shabbos. So how could Rabbi Yechonis say opposite of a stam mishnah? Answers the Gemara loykashi. There's no question. Kan b'chayvus shekavu lehemzman. When we're talking about a chayv that has a set time when it has to be done, like the carbon Pesach that must be done today, or the carbon Chagiga that must be done now, so therefore that, Rabbi Yechonin says, is allowed to be Makdash on Shabbos, or Yom Tiv. That mission is talking about a person that Stam wants to be Makdash something, or any other form of Hektish, and it has no set time when it has to be done. That's the case when the mission says that it's not allowed to be done.